Welcome to the Midlife Rise and Thrive podcast. I am your host, Dr. Sarah Poldney. If you have been wondering how to feel your best in mind, body, and spirit as you navigate through midlife, then this is the show for you. Each week, I'm sharing accessible education, heartfelt stories, and exclusive interviews. We will be talking about everything from health and wellness to sex and relationships and the many challenges and opportunities that come with midlife. It's time to take charge and live fully with intention as you write your next chapter. Let's get started. Hello, everyone. Today, we will be talking about all things ADHD. This topic is near and dear to me as I was diagnosed with ADHD as a teenager, and it took many years to learn how to really acknowledge the benefits of having ADHD, but also, more importantly, ways that I can manage the parts of ADHD that make my life a little bit more challenging. So I am super excited on both a personal and a professional level to chat with Christine Ely on the show. She is a naturopathic doctor that works with women that have these same struggles that I do, and she is here to educate us on this topic. Welcome, Christine. We are so excited to hear from you. Thank you, Sarah. I'm so happy to be here. All right. Well, let's dive in. Why don't you tell the listeners a bit about yourself and your story and why you decided to work primarily with women struggling with ADHD? Sure. Absolutely. So like you, I also have a diagnosis of ADHD. I got mine in college after a pretty significant struggle and I did try taking medication. I just didn't react very well to them. So I stopped taking them. And so it was kind of like, did the best that I could. And when I got into med school, I just started learning, like doing a lot more self-experimentation and learning ways that I could influence and affect my body to help my brain work a little better. And so I wanted to help other women who were maybe struggling, who got later diagnoses. I felt like I missed out a lot on life due to a lot of those symptoms. So I wanted to help other women have much fuller, richer lives. Great. Awesome. So why don't you explain some of the effects that ADHD has on our cognitive health? I think that some of our listeners that have ADHD might have a broader understanding, but some may not. So mm-hmm. tell us what the experience of ADHD can be, because it's not the same for everybody, but what are some of the possibilities? Sure. So the inattention is one that most people are familiar with, but one of the very common symptoms that I've seen in people, and it was something I dealt with myself, is this aspect of emotional dysregulation. So Mm. you get very easily overwhelmed. You end up with this, what's kind of called ADHD paralysis sometimes. It keeps you from figuring out how or where to start. It also plays into this level of perfectionism that happens. And these are kind of the symptoms that I tend to see more in women. There's also this lever, I think I said overwhelm that happens. And a lot of women get diagnosed later on in life because they're getting diagnosed with other disorders first, like generalized anxiety disorder or some kind of depressive disorder. Sometimes it's an eating disorder, but as they get older, all the coping mechanisms they have kind of break down. Mm. So there's this 
new overwhelm that comes in. And then, yeah, you're not, you're not able to focus. You're not able to organize all these new potential responsibilities you have going into adulthood, especially as you enter different stages of adulthood. And it can be, it can be really hard. For sure. And I know that yeah. for our listeners that are mostly women in midlife, one of the main symptoms of perimenopause and menopause is brain fog. So take mm-hmm. that, combine it with some ADHD, <laughs> and it sounds like a recipe for disaster. <laughs> sure. You know, Absolutely. I think in any life transition, it's important for us to, you know, prioritize what is important so that we go through transitions smoothly. And one of the mm-hmm. aspects of ADHD that can be challenging is the lack of prioritization. Right. So basically organizing your life, you know, deciding what's important because we seem to, as ADHD people, think everything's important (laughs) or nothing's important if we're in the proud stage. So it's like one or the other. So that is why I think this is such an important topic for our listeners. Mm -hmm. Yeah, absolutely. So you said emotional regulation. So regulating our stress response and keeping ourselves you know, calm in the, in the scheme of things is important. Well, yeah. And being mindful as well as what we are feeling emotionally and allowing ourselves to process those in appropriate ways so that they don't kind of overtake our perception of the world. (laughs) Yeah, absolutely. So some women that I know with ADHD are medicated. Some are not. It's certainly a personal choice and medications can be super effective for people. So we're not, you know, downplaying that if it's a choice that someone has made. But if if someone either doesn't want to or can't take medication because of the side effects, where do they start in managing their ADHD? Yeah, that's a great question. So the place that I sort of discovered best place to start in my personal journey and what I have a lot of success with in the women that I work with is treating what's called the gut brain access. So this is basically a two-way information highway between our gut and the gut actually has its own nervous system. So we can call that the gut brain and there's microbes in there. So there's bacteria, viruses, protozoa, all the all these fungi that are supposed to be in there. And that gut brain and all those microbes communicate along that axis to our head brains. Mm-hmm. And our head brains communicate back. So they're all they're talking to one another all the time. Our gut and our brains are talking back and forth. And this is important because that conversation that they're having influences our mood. So it can contribute to anxiety. It can contribute to that brain fog that you mentioned, Sarah, that ability to focus. Energy levels is something that I tend to see a lot of women with ADHD struggle with. And any kind of imbalance in that communication between the brain and the gut affects those. It affects our ability to produce neurotransmitters, dopamine being one that's significantly involved in the ADHD presentation. And that there's also that stress response. The microbes help regulate that stress response, and that stress response also affects the microbes. Mm -hmm. And another important thing that they do is they influence the level of inflammation and immune response that happens in our gut, which is really important. So a lot of women, especially by the time you start getting to midlife, you get into your 40s and beyond, and even a little before that, we've been exposed to a lot of mental, emotional stress. We've been exposed to a lot of toxins in our environment. 
We've probably exposed ourselves to a lot of foods that maybe aren't the most helpful ones to support our nervous systems and our brain. So there's kind of this additive effect that happens. And that communication between the head brain and the gut brain gets a little muddled and it gets mm-hmm. a little argumentative and it gets <laughs> a little it gets a little inflamed itself. So I see people come in and they tend to have what's called dysbiosis. And that just means that you have an imbalance in the microbes that are in your gut. And this is concerning because when you have an imbalance in that gut microbiome, you get inflammation. That inflammation leads to something called leaky gut, which just means things that our gut is keeping out of our bloodstream are now allowed to get into our bloodstream Mm. because our gut barrier is breaking down. And those things getting into the bloodstream can also cause inflammation that becomes systemic, meaning it can travel to other areas of the body and specifically the brain. So we have this leaky gut and then we have this inflammation and we have this communication up to the brain and we get something called leaky brain. We have what's called a blood brain barrier that helps protect the brain and then that breaks down. Mm -hmm. So we get a lot of that brain fog. We get a lot of our emotional symptoms get aggravated. So it's, we can get set off more easily. We can have more anxiety, can contribute to insomnia. So for me, gut is one of the first places I start with almost anybody that comes into my practice because it's kind of a gateway to everything else in the body. And that's the same from Chinese medicine standpoint Mm -hmm. with patients. It basically all starts in the gut with very few exceptions. So if you're struggling with any health concern, looking at your gut is usually a great place to start. But that gut brain connection, I don't think, I don't think everyone is aware of that. I think it's a new frontier in medicine that's just really starting to be researched and played around with, at least from the conventional Western medical model. I know that naturopaths and Chinese medicine doctors like myself have been working with that for a long time, but it's nice to see everybody else catching up. (laughs) I feel the same. (laughs) Yeah, absolutely. And I can say that even, you know, 50 years old, I've been, I think, dealing with at least knowing that I've been dealing with ADHD since I was about 14 at diagnosis. It's still, even though I know that what I eat is important, it can still smack me in the face. I'll have a day where I'm like, why do I feel so anxious and depressed and just not me? Like I'm creeping out of my own skin and I can't focus. And then I'm like, oh, I had a heck of a weekend eating basically anything that I wanted and way too much sugar. And that's just how my body responds. But in the moment, you know, when you're, you know, living carpe diem, what have you, and you decide to eat way too many desserts because you're traveling, I definitely suffer afterwards and I have this little forgetful brain that's like, oh, oh yeah, that's right. I can't do that. So even knowing it in a logical sense doesn't mean that it's as easy to apply. And I think that just to give a plug for mind-body medicines real quick, doing mind-body medicines that can help you to lower your stress response will help you to make better choices. And then that Mm -hmm. loop of having less stress influencing your microbiome and then your microbiome influencing your stress levels. Like sometimes it takes attacking it from a physical dietary perspective, but then also from, you know, doing self-care that involves things that can help with your stress hormones and and regulating your stress response. So it all really works together. Exactly. Yeah. So from a dietary perspective, what can 
people suffering with attention issues and ADHD do? What what should they eat? We go into the things that maybe people shouldn't eat because we don't want it to be punitive. Let's start with all the good we can add to our diet because that's more fun than telling people they can't eat something that they love. Right. Absolutely. Yeah. So, I mean, the the big ones, and we've been hearing about this, you know, time and time again, but adding more vegetables in, adding more fruits. The reason why is they're high in antioxidants and that inflammation creates what are called free radicals um, and free radicals create oxidative damage. So we're counteracting that damage by eating all these delicious fruits and vegetables. Berries are great, especially because they are sweet. So if you are someone with ADHD and you need to satisfy that sweet tooth, berries are fantastic for that. There's lots of really great veggies. You can have dark chocolate. Like I'm a big chocolate fan. Dark chocolate's a great option because it has all those antioxidants. And if you are okay eating certain greens and that doesn't bother you, just make sure you're eating whole grains Mm -hmm. as opposed to like going out and eating white bread. And fish is good. Those omega-3s are anti-inflammatory. So even if you're getting it from a capsule, that's fine. So in focusing on healthy fats, so things like avocado, walnuts are great. Like walnuts, if you look at them, kind of look like little brains. <laughs> um, that's a reminder that they're super beneficial for our brain health. Okay, great. So basically just adding and trying to focus on those whole foods that have lots Mm -hmm. of micronutrients and antioxidants is very important. And I know that I just think so much more clearly when I do that. And I think that other listeners will benefit from that too. So it's not necessarily about restricting, although we will be talking about that next, about things that may may need to be restricted for certain people, not everybody. But the idea of just focusing on sticking with those basics of the really healthy foods as much as possible, at least from my perspective, sometimes elimination is necessary, but we do have to remember that these things are dose dependent. So sure. we might need to eliminate for a short while, and then maybe we can bring some things back in and see how we feel. We do not need to live like saints for the re- We are not trying to take everybody's run away. That is not what this discussion is about, but it's more about doing the things that will work for us 80 or 90% of the time. At least that's my philosophy. Feel free to shut me down if you disagree. <laughs> no, it's, it's, it's no fun trying to be perfect. So it, no. we, need to enjoy, we need to enjoy what we eat as well. And so. <laughs> Absolutely. And you know, with ADHD, there's a shame component to it. So we definitely don't yes. want to shame people into feeling like they have to be perfect. So let's talk about some things then that may be troublemakers in our diet that could be potentially explored for people as to whether or not they might want to cut it out or at least severely lighten that load. Sure. So any foods that someone has what's called a sensitivity to, which is when you have a sensitivity to food, it's a delayed immune response. So it's not like when a kid eats peanuts and then all of a sudden they can't breathe. It's a little different from that. And a lot of those common foods are things like wheat and gluten. Dairy can be a big one. Sometimes nightshades for people. I've seen people have reactions to eggs is another one. Sugar is, is a big one. And a lot of people with ADHD 
have dysregulated blood sugar levels without necessarily being diabetic or pre-diabetic. So when possible, either reducing a lot of that sugar intake or if you eat it later on in your meal, so after you eat your veggies, after you eat your proteins, Mm -hmm. after you eat your fats, that sugar doesn't have the same effect on your system where it's spiking blood sugar and causing a stress response that then potentially contributes to that inflammation in the gut. As, as so with ADHD, it's, I know it's, it can be hard to totally eliminate sugar, but just reducing it or eating it even later on can be right. helpful. For sure. I mean, in an ideal world, those really sweet Starbucks drinks wouldn't exist. But they do. <laughs> and if you do that on an empty stomach, it, mm-hmm. it causes all sorts of problems. But for some sure. ADHD... You may feel great for about 20 minutes after drinking one of them. Yeah, it can, it'll inflate, it can inflame your brain very quickly. Okay, great. So, and obviously working with a practitioner to find out what, what tools you've mentioned before regarding diet to start with, because doing everything all at once by yourself can be a bit overwhelming and overwhelm is a part of ADHD. So we don't want to add on that. So finding a trusted practitioner such as yourself would be helpful for navigating through what, not diet, we don't want to use that word, but what- Eating patterns. Yes. (laughs) Would work for you for long-term success, not what's the best thing to do for the next- 14 days, that's going to be nearly impossible to follow for the rest of your life. (laughs) Okay. So we've talked about foods. What about toxins? Right. So environmental toxins getting into our body can also alter the gut microbiome, all those little bugs in there and contribute to that inflammation that then spreads to the brain. So there are direct ways that people can alter what gets into their body. So one of the things you see a lot is people drinking water out of plastic bottles. If you can switch to a glass bottle, even if it's a mason jar or something, unless you're somebody that drops things a lot, might not be a good idea. Switching to non-plastic lined metal bottles are really helpful and they can take a beating if they're dropped. I'm a big fan of clean canteen as well as hydro flask. And when possible, eating organically, because those pesticides will cause inflammation in the gut. So if people want to, they can also visit what's called ewg.org, Environmental Working Group. They Every year they publish what's called the Clean 15 and the Dirty Dozen. The Dirty Dozen are the top 12 items of produce that have the most pesticide use. So when possible, because buying organic is expensive, I don't buy, I don't even buy everything organic, but I recommend that you buy organic from the dirty dozen. And then depending on where you are in your health journey, it's probably okay to buy some of the clean 15 non-organic. I mean, also making sure that if possible, you can drink filtered water because a lot of things gets into the public water supply that does mm-hmm. affect the microbiome. So you can go to places like Whole Foods. I think even some Safeways and things like that have filtered water or, you know, you can go out and buy a Brita and do that as well. And just a quick going back to the emotional aspect, another form of toxin is the information too that we allow into our brain space. Mm -hmm. So being really mindful of maybe how much of the news you expose yourself to during the day, like assign yourself certain, like a time limit or 
a level of like, this is how much news I'll take in. Right. Because that can be damaging on that emotional health that also plays Absolutely. back into that. Absolutely. Yeah. Okay, great. Anything else we should be mindful of, like antibiotics, yeah, a lot of medications, if used inappropriately or excessively, can cause damage to the gut and then therefore eventually to the brain. So if you're going to use antibiotics, just make sure you're using them appropriately. If your doctor diagnoses you with a cold, maybe don't accept an antibiotic for that because an antibiotic is not going to treat a viral condition. And just being really careful about the use of antacids. I know a lot of people can go and buy Nexium pepsid all these things over the counter and you need to be really careful about using those because they affect gut health and also things like NSAIDs non-steroidal anti-inflammatory drugs so those are your ibuprofens your naproxens aspirin that you're taking for pain versus like a baby aspirin for somebody that might be trying to prevent strokes so just making sure that you are using these medications appropriately mm-hmm. so that you're protecting your gut as much as possible. And that includes steroids like corticosteroids for people that have like a lot of people use that for skin conditions like eczema, things like that. And actually, fun fact, if you have a lot of skin conditions like eczema, psoriasis, things like that, you probably have a gut imbalance. <laughs> so yeah. that's something to look at as a root cause. Uh, definitely, so. definitely. <laughs> Great. And what other resources do you want to share with our listeners that might want to learn more about the things we've discussed so far? Sure. So a whole the Whole30 is great. It's um, an elimination diet that's done for 30 days, which is meant to help you learn what foods work best for your body and best for your brain. Again, you want to be careful with elimination diets, especially if you are someone who has had any kind of eating disorder or disordered eating where your eating patterns might not be healthy, but they don't necessarily qualify for a diagnosis. You want to use caution with elimination wow. diet. By the way, the Whole30 has recipes all over the place. There's so many books. And even if yeah. you just want to start cooking some of those recipes, that will benefit you. You get all those antioxidants, reducing sugar. I did yeah. a Whole30. It's supposed to be a 30-day program, but I did it for mm-hmm. a few months this year and mm-hmm. just felt amazing on it. But I went into it with you know giving myself grace and saying, I'm going to do this as much as possible because I'm planning to do it for longer and I don't want to set myself up to fail by having too many rules. So there's all sorts of ways of doing it, like starting with the recipes, just trying to incorporate more of those whole foods Mm -hmm. be an option too. And there's so many resources. It's really user-friendly. Sometimes, I mean, even in whole foods, there's labels as to whether something is Whole30 compliant. So a super user-friendly way to start this navigating for sure. Right. Absolutely. The Glucose Revolution is a great book that talks about how to balance your blood sugar levels. (laughs) And then candidadiet.com. A lot of people with ADHD, one of the imbalances they have in their gut is they tend to have a lot of yeast overgrowth. Mm -hmm. That's kind of, it takes the opportunity to flourish if we've killed off some of the other things that keep it in check. Heartmath.org has a lot of information about the mind-body medicine aspects, so regulating their stress levels, because as you said, Sarah, so brilliantly, when we're stressed, we it's harder to make the most beneficial decisions for our Mm -hmm. health. I mentioned ewg.org. 
Adler.com. She has a lot of information about how to make some of those changes where we're reducing toxin exposure. And she does it in a very uplifting, empowering way. And yeah, and the IFS Institute talks about something called internal family systems, which is, it's another way to get curious about and process our emotions. That is something I found to be effective for myself and others. Great. So, yeah. Wonderful. Well, we will share all of your links and contact information in the show notes. Is there anything that you want our listeners to know specifically about how to get in touch with you? Anything we may not have covered? Sure. Yeah. The best way to get in touch with me is if you go to my website, it's keyhealthnd.com. If you're interested in scheduling, I have 15-minute phone consults for people that are interested in just making sure like working well together would be appropriate for the naturopathic side of things. And then if people want to work on their brains and nervous systems from a physical medicine aspect, they can go on the website too and without even talking to me, schedule a craniosacral appointment. Okay, wonderful. Wonderful. We should do a whole episode on craniosacral therapy at some point. That would be super. I I would love that. (laughs) Well, it's been a pleasure chatting with you, Christine, and super informative, great places for women that are struggling with ADHD to start, especially in midlife, because we're going through so many different things. If you have any questions for Christine, please feel free to reach out to her. She is in the Annapolis area. And I look forward to chatting with you again soon. Thank you so Thank much, you. Sarah. Thank you. Have fun. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of the Midlife Rise and Thrive podcast. If you are enjoying what you hear each week, be sure to follow the show and leave a rating and review letting me know what you think. I would love to hear from you. See you later.